verse. Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to read verse 4. And we will see where the Spirit of God leads us in our passage today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 reads, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. And on this Lord's Day, I would like to speak with you for a few moments from the thought. What does love have to do with it? Part two. What does love have to do with it? Part two. On last week, we found that Paul was contending for a more excellent way. A more excellent way that went beyond the gifts that each believer had. Beyond the exhortation, beyond the apostleship, beyond the preaching, beyond the teaching, beyond the tongues. But a more excellent way. We found that Paul contended for the idea of unity in the body of Christ. Not that we can just stand alone. An ear all alone looks awfully funny but it looks right when it's on the body. And then, is not all the body an eye? How strange would we look if we were all just one big eye? But God has put and knitted us together uniquely in our different roles to build the body of Christ and to glorify God. And one should not contend that their gift is any greater than the other. But that we are all working in tandem to do the work of the master and glorify the father in him. And so we found that when we began to prophesy and when we began to teach and when we began to do anything in the Lord, discern and exhort, if we do any of those things without love, then it's nothing. No matter how great of a singer we are, no matter how we can move the crowds with our eloquence, if it has not love, it's nothing. And so now we begin to go into the portion of chapter 13 to where now Paul begins to define love. And he doesn't define love based on some Definition without action, but he defines it as what love does. Because what we find is that love is an action word. 
we know from the canonical scripture that God is love. So in order for us to be able to represent God, in order for us to be ambassadors to God, we must love. For if God is love, then it is love which shows the world who God is. Amen? So now, Paul takes out time to intricately look at what love does from a positive perspective and from a negative. In other words, what it does and what it does not do. In order to build a full picture of how we're going to love. Love is just not an ooey-gooey word of romance. To where, ooh, I love you and and I I have all these feelings for you. But love is an action word. If you're going to really have goodly, godly love, it's got to be demonstrated. There is a said faith and then there's a real faith. There is a said talk and then there's a doing real love. There is a love that comes out of the actions, out of the sacrifices that we make. So as we begin to look at our text, here in verse 4, the first thing that the apostle says is that love suffers long. In some of our translations, the word there is patient. Love is Patient, But I like the New King James Version where it says that love suffers long. Because when somebody is truly patient, you suffer. You suffer, you, you never give up on somebody. You, you, never, you never say, well, they'll never change. You never say, When I'm through with them, if you love them, even though they walk left when they should have walked right, even though they lie when they should have told the truth, when you love them, you never give up on them. Because one of the things we have to realize about this life is none of us can predict the end of it for ourselves, let alone somebody else. Amen? So love never gives up because we don't know what the Lord is doing in anybody's life at any time. So even when a person looks to be reprobate and gone as far as they can from the Lord, we still don't know what the Lord is doing. So we can't give up if we love them. Because the Lord that we serve, the Bible says that oh how unsearchable are the ways of the Lord. We can't figure out the mind of God. He's too big. He knows too much and he's too far out of our reach in order to understand him with our finite little minds. But if we're patient in respect and in relation to the God that we serve, we'll never give up. We'll suffer long with folks that we really we're really not having all that good a time with. And, you know, I'm really not all that comfortable being with you, but you are my brother or my sister. And I'm going to love you anyhow. I, I, I'm going I'm to take the pain of dealing with you and you being in my presence because I love you. 
Parents in this house can understand this who have children who have gone wayward. You don't like what they're doing and it really makes you really angry. Sometimes it keeps you up late at night. Puts gray hair in your head. But if your child comes and needs some help, most likely you will go running to help them. Why? Because you love them. Then being in your presence may just make your blood boil sometimes. But you like to bring them close that just maybe there'll be a word that you can say, just maybe an action that you can do to get them to wake up out of their lostness. Why? Because you love them. You're patient with them because you love them. And I don't know if you've recognized this like I have. But the church is made up of a lot of imperfect people living in an imperfect world. And I would look at the church as being a hospital where a lot of folks that are sick come to get healed. A lot of sick folks come because they got problems in their lives. They got sins that they haven't been able to come across. But they come to hear a word from the Lord so that they may be healed. And so in light of the fact that we're all imperfect and we're all sick, does it not stand to reason that we may transgress against one another being sinful creatures? But patience understands that there is a process of being healed. It may not be in the time that we want it to, but God's slackness is not like men's slackness. God is working things out in his perfect will. And just because people don't change as fast as we would like them to change does not remove or relegate the mandate to be patient with one another. Some of us grow quickly in one area and slowly in another. See, what gets us tripped and tricked up is that some of us have sins that we have lived with our whole life. We've been Christians a long time, but we've gotten good at hiding them. And it's some of those sins that are not blatant and cause other people a whole lot of pain. So then we, we tend to look at the sins of those who do cause you pain and then don't have patience with them. But knowing if you look at your own life that things have been going on 20 and 30 years that you've hidden in your closet, that you haven't been hurting the folks in your family, but it's there. So every time we look at our brother and sister who irritates us, let us take an introspective of ourselves and look at the sins that we're wrestling with and see that, okay, though we got it in the closet, it can fall out. Patience. Being patient with one another. Look at our text. It's almost as if Paul is giving each attribute or the thing that love does and each one hangs on the other. Because the next one says, and is kind. 
You can't be kind if you're not patient. Kind has the idea that it cares more for others than it cares for itself. Now we know as believers saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit that we're still selfish. And you know, as time goes on, even when I look at my own life, as I have things that are getting older, sometimes I start to feel magnanimous and I feel like I'm not so selfish and I, I allow people to use things that are not so shiny and new. But when I get something that's new and costs me a lot and it's shiny, then I get an attitude when people mistreat it. I get an attitude if somebody has it too long. But that's the selfishness in me. All we got to do is have the right situation to show us how faulty and failure prone we are, don't we? Some of us deal with anger. Some of us deal with lying. Some of us deal with backbiting and gossip. All it has to be is the right situation. So many times in our lives we say, you know, it may go months or maybe years. You say, I haven't had this problem. I, I think I'm over it. And then all of a sudden at a time that you least expect, bang, there it is. But what we have to realize is in that realizing the frailty of our own selves, we need to care about others more than ourselves. We need to care about other people and their afflictions because we got them too. And this is a process that goes on through our life. And even when we think that we're over something, it pops back up. That's why we should be kind to one another. That's why we should care about one another more than ourselves. Because it causes us to be humble. To not think of ourselves more than we ought to. Because in reality, we deserve death and hell like everybody else. But we are what we are by the grace of God. And because we're grateful for the things that God has done for us, we ought to manifest that gratefulness and kindness toward others. When we come to church, because we are a selfish people, because we are really all about self, a lot of times we come to church with the same selfish ideology and we think it's okay. We come to church saying, I got to get my feel. I got to come get my word. But is that really what the Lord is calling us to assemble for? He says, forsake not the assembly of those together as some do. For what? Encouragement and warning. Warning and encouraging who? Your brothers and sisters in the Lord. The reason why that scripture is there in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 is that when we come to worship, when we come to assemble, we come not only for ourselves but for those who assemble with us. Yeah. We ought to come with a kind heart. Yeah. The kind of heart that comes in saying, hmm, can I pray for my sister today? Can, can, can I pray for my brother? 
what, what can I, what kind of goodly, godly kindness can I show to my brother and sister? I, I, I wonder if they're all right. Maybe I'm going to talk to them and see if there's anything I can pray for you about. Bearing one another's burdens. But this process is one of those that you got to be patient. It hangs on patience because just because you pray the next day doesn't mean their problems are going to go away next week. Next week you come back showing the same goodly, godly kindness toward another because that's what we're called to do in love. So Paul is saying, I'm showing you a more excellent way and gifts are not it, but it's all about love. And now we're starting to see what love looks like. It's an action word. And it's going to take some sacrifice from us in order for it to be done. Do we think about our brothers and sisters in the evening and say, I'm going to pray for them. You know, I know that, that we're not really getting along that well, but I know the human condition and I know there's a reason either in me or in them. And if it's in me, I'm praying so that they will have patience with me. Because sometimes our disagreements with one another is because of ourselves. We're looking at the other person, but it's really a transgression from us. But if we're going to be kind to one another, we got to pray and we got to think about and look about Situations to help our brothers and sisters even if we ain't getting along. Amen. Love is kind. Now hanging off of kindness, Paul begins to, to make a turn. He goes from the positives to the negative. He was talking about what love does. Now he starts to talk about what love doesn't. Look at your text. It says, love does not envy. Envy, that green-eyed monster. That what we call one of the seven deadly sins. Envy wants that which it doesn't have. That's a deadly sin. It wants what it doesn't have. And envy is the green-eyed monster and the deadly sin because envy can cause you to murder your brother or sister for something that wasn't yours in the first place. I talked about this on other occasions. It's the situation with Cain and Abel. Abel was obedient to the Lord and the Lord approved of his offering. But Cain was disobedient. But instead of Cain getting his own by being obedient, he wanted the approval that Abel had, but that was for Abel. He didn't want to get his own approval. He wanted Abel's approval. So his countless chain, sin crossed at the door. And after a while, Cain became the murderer of his brother. Because he was envious of the approval of God toward his brother Abel. Well, we may say to ourselves, well, hey, I, you know, that, that's awfully extreme. Well, is it really? Is it really extreme? Is this not 
the same kind of things that happen in a contemporary context, even in the church. We may not pull out a gun and shoot one another, but we can use our tongue to kill each other. We can talk about one another and down them and get people convinced not to associate with them because we are envious of something that they're doing. We haven't been given the gift of teaching, but the other person is teaching and many people are saying, oh, what a great teacher. Oh, I'm really enjoying them. And now envy sets in us and now we're, mm, they ain't all that. Well, let me tell you this about them and let me tell you what they did Saturday night. Let me start to tear each other down because of envy. You want a gift that ain't yours. But God gives gifts to all of us according to our ability. Let's look at what we've got and stop worrying about what somebody else has. Love. If we're going to love one another, we're going to have to stop envying one another. So what? She can sing like an angel. And you can't. There's something you can do that she can't. God is no respecter of persons, but glorify God in that which you have. Because you don't know how that person is looking at you and maybe have great regard for you and you don't know it because you're too busy envying what they have. But love doesn't envy, does it? I show you a more excellent way, says Paul. Not gifts, not abilities, but love. Love ye one another, dear little children, the apostles John says. Love ye one another. When I was a, a, a baby Christian, you know, I, I, I didn't understand why this was constantly showing up in the Bible for Christians all the time. Because I believe that Christians, they always love one another. That's what I thought. I mean, I'm fresh. I didn't know anything. But I find that even after years pass, we don't love one another. But how are we going to show the world our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is love, if we do not love one another? The world will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. So if this line of don'ts that Paul is so passionately contending here in the 13th chapter, we see that the next one is love does not parade itself. Love doesn't strut around like a peacock saying, look at me. Look at all my multicolors. Look at all the glory that I have. Look at all the fine clothes and the fancy cars that I drive. Look at all of my gifts and look at all the things that I do. And not caring about nobody else but themselves. Parading. Parading is just another form of selfishness. It's all about inward conceit instead of being about outward kindness toward one another. Some of us are beautiful. Some of us are handsome. Some of us are tall. Some of us are, are, are petite. Some of us have the things that others wish for. Some of us have money. Some of us have fancy things. 
But God is saying, don't parade those things. Don't walk around with, look at me. But humble yourself to be kind toward those who don't. And to let them know that their worth is just as good, if not better than your own, even though they don't have all these flashy gifts. See, that's where the church begins to be the church. It's when the church, with all its manifold gifts, can look at a world and look at people that feel like they're down and out and they've got nothing, can reach down and lift them up and say, everything's all right. It's a joy to have you in my presence. Just your very presence brings joy to me. How much and how fundamental is the gift of joy being in somebody's presence? But those of us who have been gifted with much, much is required. And one of them is, is not to strut, not to walk around like, look at me. Look how beautiful I am. Look how tall I am. Look how gifted I am. No, look to use those gifts for the edification of somebody else. Now, that's why we've been gifted. We've been given riches to bless somebody else. We've been given beauty to bless somebody else. We've been given all manners of gifts and ability to do what? Bless somebody else. Don't strut, don't strut, because if you're strutting, you can't be kind. If you're strutting, you can't be patient. Amen? So we look at this text as we come to a close. And we look and we see that Paul contends, and he says that love is not puffed up. Love doesn't get the big head. See, it's easy to get the big head. It can slip up on you like a thief in the night. One day you're feeling pretty humble, and the next day your head is swole big as a basketball. Because somebody has said something to you, and they have, they have been flattering to you, or you've won some great award, or you've been given some great title or some responsibility, and now you think you're a Mr. or Mrs. Know-it-all. I'm not telling you what I heard, I'm telling you what I know. See, it first gets to preacher before it gets to the pew. And I'm telling you, it's easy to get caught off guard and to get puffed up. To get puffed up in your abilities, to get puffed up in your riches, to get puffed up in your fashion ability. All this stuff is a setup for the puff up. That's what it really is. And we have got to be careful, saints, to be sober minded and to watch and to see what setups are being set up for us to sin against God and not to love. Because when we start to get that big head, we start to look down on other folk. Because we start to look and like, I don't understand why they ain't got this. Or I don't understand why they ain't got that. But the only reason why you have it is by the grace of God. We don't do anything of our own power. Without Jesus, what? We can't do anything. We can do nothing. So in light of that, don't get the big head. Don't look folks down, but look to lift them up. If you have been given great position, 
Use that great position to lift people up, to edify. If you've been given great gifts, edify. Great finances, edify. Great fashion, edify. Everything is for the glory of God and edification of his body. Because in the end, the better the body looks, the better Christ looks. Because Christ is the what? Head of the church. And the church is his what? Body. So when Christ puts the whole body together, the head looks good, but the body's broken down. That's not good. The whole thing needs to look right. And God has put us in place to make sure that every joint, every component, every organ is working right and that we work together to support one another so that we have that perfect body that Jesus is looking for. And we can't end without talking about the ultimate love. We can't get out of here without talking about love demonstrated the greatest. There's no greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for a friend. And almost 2,000 years ago, there was a man whose name is Jesus was born in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. Grew to 12 years old and started to confound the wisdom of the chief leaders, the Jewish leaders. And he grew 18 years later, he began a ministry that he called his father's business. He began that ministry of teaching and preaching and healing the sick and raising the dead giving sight to the blind, creating talk from those who could not talk, and hearing from those who could not hear. And his name is Jesus. God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now that's love. That's love when one who was perfect had no sin, looked down on a sinful world that didn't care nothing about him, and said, Father, prepare me a body. And I'll go down and I'll do for them what they cannot do for themselves. I'll be marched from judgment hall to judgment hall. I'll be marched down the Via Della Rosa outside the camp to a place called Gargantus Hill. I will allow them to put nails in my hands. And I'll allow them to put nails in my feet. And I'll allow them to lift me up for when they lift me up, I'll draw all men unto me. I'll allow them to keep me in the middle of the day from the third to the ninth hour. I'll allow them to keep me on that cross because of love. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. That's love. That love of Jesus Christ at the ninth hour, he died. But before the ninth hour, love said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's love. Hanging on a cross in the midst of a heated day, blood running in anguish and pain, he still said, forgive them, because they know not what they do. That's love. So if we're going to be like the risen Savior, we got to be pressing toward that mark. The high calling of God. We got to be willing to be patient and kind. We don't need to envy 
one another. We don't need to be puffed up. We don't need to be arrogant. We need to love one another. But they took him down from that cross after he died. And they put him in a bar tomb. And three days later, he rose with all power in his hand. All power in his hand because his father said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And he raised him from the dead. And so he being our example, we want to get to that great getting up morning. We want to get there and we want him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And the way we're going to do it is through love. Not some ooey gooey talk, but some action, some sacrifice. This thing that's called love. And so today, I'm saying to the saints of God, to take this one scripture. You don't need the whole Bible right now. Take this one scripture and meditate on it this week. Try to operate on this according to the power that's been given to you in Christ Jesus. And I believe our week will be a better week than last week if we love. I believe the church will be a better church this week than last week if we love. And so right now, for those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Right now, I extend the invitation to come to be a child of his. Because without Jesus Christ, these things I am saying are impossible. You need the Lord in your life to come and live in you, and then you can live out the things that he commands us to do. You can come by letter, you can come by Christian experience, or come by baptism, but come. The Lord is looking for some folks that'll do his will. And one of these things is, is not to be floating around outside in the world, but to come and to be part of a body, a local body where we can encourage one another and love one another, to learn how to love one another so that we show forth Christ to this dying world. Because in the end, God is looking for us to reach one, each one reach one. But you can come today. You can come right now. Don't let another second, another minute, another hour pass. Give your life to the Lord today. You can come today. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus.
Amen, amen. None came, but there's still plenty of good room. Amen.